Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring sermons drawn from our pastoral staff and various guest preachers. from the First Presbyterian Church of Dallas in Texas, where I serve as the pastor. I'm so grateful for Reverend Von Lower's invitation to worship with you this morning, and also the hospitality of my hosts, Mary and Randy Hartfield, Janet Wells, and Charlene and James Lee. It is a gift to be here in one of the faith communities that nurtured Charlene's sense of call and has affirmed her along the way. Thank you all for your kind welcome. Our text today seems a little out of place. Holy Week was two months ago. Easter has come and gone. We have already dispensed with the drama of the Last Supper and the humiliation of Jesus' arrest and the injustice of his trial and the terror of Good Friday. According to the liturgical calendar, we have already processed and resolved our disappointment that Jesus gave himself up to death without a fight. We've already said our sorrow-filled final goodbyes at the cross, and we have already registered our shock and joy at the sight of our Lord's empty tomb. The post-resurrection march of progress is well underway. There are churches that we need to save and others that we hope to start and pastors to train and unjust systems to dismantle and mouths to feed and relationships to reconcile. But before we go bounding off to change the world, I would like to interrupt our triumphant post-resurrection march of progress and drag us all the way back to hear Jesus say goodbye all over again. Our scripture reading captures Jesus' final words to his disciples on the night of his arrest. Listen now for God's word to you and for you. If you love me, You will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, take our meager words and give them meaning. Take our hearts and hold them open. Take our joy and make it full. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Whether we are ready or not. Amen. The second verse of our reading includes a word that is unique to John's gospel. That word is paraclete, which is translated to English as advocate. Of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John is the only one that identifies the Holy Spirit as an advocate. And verse 16 is the first of four instances in John's gospel where Jesus reassures uncertain disciples with a promise that after he is gone to be with God, the Holy Spirit will come to advocate on their behalf. John 14, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you everything. John 15, 26, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I don't, the advocate will not come to you. Biblical scholars are still debating where the gospel writer of John sourced this strange name for the Holy Spirit, and why the gospel writer of John did not just stick with pneuma, the Greek word for spirit. And they still aren't settled on what, if anything, distinguishes the paraclete's activity from the Holy Spirit. Now, to those of you who don't earn your living reading biblical Greek and arguing about the peculiarities of the paraclete relative to the pneuma, this debate may sound academic to you. I mean, does it actually make a difference that John's Jesus can't make up his mind if he will ask God for an advocate or a spirit in his absence? I don't know about you, but you know, I vote for both of them Tomato, tomato, from my perspective, if there is a difference, just give me both and I'll keep the one that I like. The problem with this approach, though, is that we actually don't get to pick. Jesus says the advocate is only available for those who keep his commandments. The advocate actually picks us. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. Which is Jesus' way of saying that the promise of the advocate is not for the know-it-alls that lean on their seniority or their proximity to power or their privileged position at the top of social castes that are dressed up as meritocracies. It's Jesus' way of saying that the promise of the advocate is not for the carnival barkers that confuse the volume of their voices with authority. It's Jesus' way of saying the promise of the advocate is not even for churchgoers toting 
big Bibles that announce their righteousness and big opinions about how the church should do this or do that, but get real quiet when it's time to sacrifice their time or money. Now, I wish I could preach a nice sermon that does not leave anyone out, but today the gospel refuses to be a Hallmark card. And I know that I'm just a guest preacher and we all just met this morning, but there will never be a good day to toss this wet blanket of a scripture reading onto our postmodern belief that everyone is entitled to their own version of the truth. And it may also be a disappointment to discover that neither your privilege nor your marginalization, your faithful church attendance, nor your religious open-mindedness, your conservatism nor your liberalism has anything to do with whether or not the advocate is in you. As Jesus tells it in our text today, the advocate is earned, not given. Now, there is a spark of the divine in each of us, but, but the fire for justice and the glow of righteousness and the flame of godliness is reserved for the keepers, not the qualifiers. Jesus in John 14 says there are two kinds of Christians in the world, those who keep Jesus' commandments and those who who qualified them with their own. And many will say they know what's true in a broken world that believes truth is in the eye of the beholder, but before you click their like or their follow or their share button, please check to see if they follow Jesus' commandments. This is the word of the Lord. It sounds simple, I know. Maybe even too simple and a little too Christian-y in a choose-your-own-adventure world that centers the individual as the arbitrator of all truth. One example is the church. We can see our preference for quick solutions to the perennial problem that is distinguishing one truth from another by observing the Christian church's response to the decline in church attendance here in America. You know, since 1983, when the Presbyterian Church USA was formed, our membership has declined 62% from 3.1 million members to 1.1 million members. Don't get too sad about this. Don't worry. Presbyterianism is not the problem. All the mainline denominations have lost membership over the same period. But in response to this existential threat of extinction, churches have generally responded in three ways. The first is uh, some are hunkering down to protect themselves from a culture that they interpret is hostile to their traditions. Now other churches are branching out into politics and aligning themselves with the political party or ideology that's most likely to defend their interpretation of scripture especially on social issues, and still others are 
seduced by the vapid and nebulous and mushy and false promise that death can be avoided with better marketing, more technology, conversational preaching and increased diversity, all of which serves a well-intentioned attempt to remain relevant, the holy grail for churches like the disciple to whom Jesus was speaking when he told them he was going to the Father, we too are uncertain who to trust and what to do in the absence of Jesus. Things would be much easier for us if Jesus was just here, leading us away from the false gospels of Christian nationalism and the false gospel of unity that doesn't require repentance and the false gospel that idolizes the marginalized and the oppressed, things would be much easier if we all just went to one church, you know, where Jesus himself was the preacher instead of regular old humans that bring so much baggage with them into the pulpit. Things would be much easier if he was here. He was here to curse the fig trees for us and calm the storms for us and feed the 5,000 for us and tell us who to vote for. Maybe if he was around, the Shakahola massacre would not have happened. You know, in southern Kenya last month, more bodies were pulled from shallow graves on the 800-acre property that Reverend Paul McKenzie promoted as a safe haven from an apocalypse that only he could see coming. McKenzie was a former taxi driver. He was a self-ordained Christian preacher. He was a televangelist. So far, hundreds of bodies have been found and hundreds more of his disciples are missing. They all moved to Shakahola believing McKenzie's teaching that it was the only safe place free from uncertainty. The only safe place to be when the end times came. And he also taught his congregation that the only way to meet Jesus was to starve themselves to death. What's now being called the Shakahola Massacre is a barbaric story that we've heard before. A charismatic male, and it's always a male, claims to be the advocate that Jesus promised. And then people follow because we crave certainty in the midst of complexity. And the fake advocate's promise is always simple. Eat this and you'll be saved. Drink this and you'll be enlightened. Follow me and I'll be your advocate to God, mediating on your behalf because you know you're too simple-minded to detect false gospels on your own. The Shakahola Massacre, as barbaric as it is, is, it's safe for us to observe from a distance, you know. It serves as a tidy sermon illustration on a Sunday San Marino, California. But before you write off Shakahola as a distinctly African occurrence, consider the silent massacres fake advocates are responsible for here. 
You know, we've got our own false prophets promising to be our advocate, our mediator to the gods, our defenders of a certain kind of freedom that is reserved for some of we, the people. What Jesus instructs us today is that before you ask anyone what the truth is, before you turn to your favorite TV news channel or your favorite website on the internet, before you put a finger up to the wind to find out what conventional wisdom has to say, before you search for truth, keep Jesus' commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. Otherwise, nobody will believe you. Amen. You have been listening to a production of San Marino Community Church. Find our worship services on YouTube or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify. Spotify.